As we start out this morning, I thought one of the things that would be good to do is I thought a little confession time. Uh, you know, you're supposed to confess, and, and, and so I want to confess to you today a few things about myself that may be a little surprising to you. Number one, I really don't hate cats. I, I, I'm just a dog person, so I don't hate cats. I just like dogs that much better. I don't, I don't really hate cats, so I'm sorry for those of you that feel that way. I just love dogs. Secondly, really important confession here. I believe that pineapple belongs on pizza. I do. It goes good. It goes good. I, I enjoy it. And amen. I know there are some of you on the other side, but I, amen to that. Third confession. Uh, I want to confess to you that I am a functional atheist. Hold on. Be, before you judge me, before you judge me, I'm going to guess that there are a lot of us in this room that sometimes struggle with functional atheism. See, a functional atheist is defined as this. A functional atheist is when you believe in God, when you read the Bible, when you have received the gospel, when you have followed God for a long time, yet we live our lives in a functional level, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. We're sure we believe in God, but we live according to our own desires and wills as if the outcome for our life, our future, depends not on God, but on me and my wisdom and my ability. Now, the good news for you is you're like, my pastor struggles with this. Not all the time. Not all the time. But if I'm going to be honest, more often than I like to admit, I find myself leaning to my own understanding. Where does this idea of functional atheism come from? Why, why is that something that we uh, struggle with? Uh, well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. So let me ask you this question. Uh, where is it in your life, what part of your life that brings you the greatest amount of stress? How would you answer that? Where in your life do you struggle with worry? What keeps you up at night with your mind wandering and thinking, how's this going to play out? How do I get through this? How can I navigate this? Where is the greatest stress and anxiety and worry come from your life? Oftentimes, it's related to what matters most to us. And so we will struggle with stress and worry related to our relationships, whether that be in marriage, whether that be with our children, whether that be with our friends, whether that be in our extended family. We worry about our relationships. We worry, uh, we worry about our work. Oftentimes, for many of us, our work is what we invest our life into, it is, it is where we, we go to succeed. It is how we fulfill the calling that God has put on our life. It is how we provide for our families. And so we worry about our work and, and those things. And, and thirdly, we worry about our security. What about the future? How are we going to survive financially? How do we ensure that we have safety and good health for our family and for the people around us? See, oftentimes... Our greatest worry and stress is over what matters most to us. And so for me, as I think about my greatest worries and my greatest stresses, they're related to these sorts of things. They're related to my family. I've got a beautiful wife and five kids that I love to death. My stress and my anxiety and my worry comes over our church. I love the fact that I get to pastor uh, this church. And I find these things that I love so much that they bring me some stress because I desperately want to be a good dad. 
I desperately want to be a good husband. I want to be a good pastor. And so what happens is as we have these things that we care so much about, I've done what many of you have done, where you look at these things that you love so much and you say, well, because I love them and because I care for them and because I want good for them, I'm going to go and learn and try and get better at my skills. And so I've done these sorts of things. I've, I've, uh, I've sought mentors. I've listened to podcasts. I've gone to conferences. This past week, I was reorganizing, reorganizing my bookshelf at the office and looking at how many books I have on parenting, on marriage, on pastoral leadership. And we seek these things out because we want to be good. We want to grow in our ability to love and lead our families and to love and lead our workplace. And that's good. Those books and those conferences and those things, their, their, their intent is good. But here's the issue. As we start trying to get all this wisdom and all this knowledge and how I can be a better dad and how I can be a better leader and how I can be a better businessman and how I can be better and all these things, what happens is we start to find these, these principles and these philosophies that we say, this is what is going to lead me to success, Right? We look at our children, we're like, well, I want my kids to succeed, so I find a philosophy that looks like, man, this is a way to success for your kids. And sure, I want God's blessing, sure, I want God involved in the situation, but it's so easy for us to begin to trust in our own knowledge, our own philosophy, our own wisdom, our own strength. Other times, it's not just we have this knowledge. Other times, we begin to think, well, I'm a dad and I've got these five kids. Nobody cares as much for these kids as I do. I've got this business. Nobody cares about this business as much as I do. I've got this church. Nobody cares about the church as much as I do. And so I want to use all my efforts to make these things happen, to make them successful. And sure, I want God's blessing. Sure, I don't want to remove God from the equation, but I rely on my own vision. I rely on my own wisdom, on my own principles, on my own strength. And this is where functional atheism kicks in. Where we can love the Lord and we can worship Him and we can lift our hands, but in reality of how we live our life, we live more like an atheist. We're sure, I know God is there and I want God a part of the situation, but I'm going to live according to my strength. Honestly, for many of us, we cling to control. We want to control the outcome of our family, of our job, of our future, of our church. And what it leads to is it leads to greater stress and greater worry and greater anxiety because we're grabbing onto things that don't belong to us. This Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend is great because it's a kickoff to summer. And I love summer. Summer is my favorite season. I love the warm weather. And uh, this summer, uh, we're going to be going through a a series that we're calling Somewhere in the Psalms, where as a church, we're just going to be looking at the Psalms, and I get the privilege of kicking off this series, and I'm excited for the series in the Psalms, because the Psalms, uh, what I love about the Psalms is they're so real. They're they're written by, by real people with real issues, with real struggles, and I love it because it's, it's kind of like sometimes a glimpse into my own heart. Where sometimes we show up to church and we, we kind of act like we have it all together and we put a smile on our face and nothing bad ever happened and I never have any issues with God. And the Psalms are real. They're like, God, why is these bad stuff happening to me? God, where are you? 
that they come back to. Even though I have these feelings, I know that God is in control. So I am excited to look at the Psalms. One of the things, one of the things about preaching, and I've heard this said multiple times, that the best preaching, the best preaching is when the preacher preaches to himself and everybody else just gets to listen. And so today I chose Psalm 127 because it's something that I need to hear. It's something that, that I felt God wanted to remind me of. And you guys get to listen to this today. And I think this is going to be relevant to you. It's going to be challenging and important for you to hear as well. But this is something that I really needed to hear. Because I'm sure many of you, like me, struggle with this idea of functional atheism. And today we want to be reminded of the goodness and the graciousness of God. That while we, we labor, while we work for our family and for our job and for our future and for our security, while we work for our church, we have to recognize that ultimately the outcome, the success for those things does not come from our own strength and our own philosophy and our own wisdom. It comes to, from God. That's where success comes from. And when we are willing to surrender the outcome of these things, when we're willing to, to surrender those to God, we get to receive the blessing that God has offered us in his peace and in his rest. So that's what we're looking at today. Psalm chapter 127. We're going to start today in verse 1. And the first thing that he's going to teach us is that success and security, they come from the Lord. In fact, here's what he says in verse 1. He says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, I know many of us are saying, well, I'm not a builder. I'm a teacher. I, I work in a hospital. I do this or that. I'm not a builder. This verse is not limiting to physically building a house. What the idea the psalmist is saying, which is Solomon, he's saying is that when you start building something in your life, when you are starting something, when there's something that you are investing your time and effort and energy towards. So this verse doesn't apply just to building a house. It applies to building a business, building a home. It applies to your schooling. It applies to your marriage. It applies to your church. It applies to our family. It goes to all these different areas. And what, what, what he's saying is unless the Lord builds it, unless the Lord builds a marriage, Unless the Lord builds a business, unless the Lord builds the church, those who labor, labor in vain. Now, theologically, we would all agree with that statement. Well, of course, of course, unless God does the work, it doesn't really matter. Of course, theologically, we would say, I agree with that. But in reality, we live very opposite to that. In reality, we look at our skills and our abilities and our methods and our philosophies and our training and our degrees. And we think, well, I'm, I'm good enough to make this happen. I've got enough skills. I've got enough knowledge. I mean, yes, of course, we want God's blessing. Of course, we want to honor him in our life. But in reality, we're trusting our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our own strength. And where this becomes dangerous is when we rely on our own strength, sometimes it could almost appear like we have success on our own, right? Sometimes people who build things in their own life look like they have their own success, at least from the world's perspective. Again, this is a social media generation. And aren't we good at, at, at taking a family photo 
And we're going to get everybody sitting there together. We're going to get them all sitting down. And we're going to take 100 pictures where we want everybody smiling just right. We're going to say, no, we're going to take another and another. And then we're going to zoom in and look at it. And we post the very best picture of everybody smiling, everybody looking right. We've got the little filter on so there's no, no blemishes. That's called a facade. Because you take the filter off, you show the behind the scenes, and it's like, man, that family's a disaster. They're like pulling each other's hair and throwing rocks at each other and doing all sorts of things behind the camera. But on social media, hey, look, look how great we are. We got it all together. You know, this is where I look at ministry. I'm a pastor. I look at other pastors. Do you know it is possible, it is completely feasible to build a large church without the presence of God? In fact, I remember there was a conference. There was a conference I was invited to attend a couple of years ago, and it was a conference that said, here's how you can double the attendance in your church. Here's what they said. Here's the keys to success. Number one, you need a good communicator. Number two, you need good systems. And number three, all you need is a little bit of money. Those three things, and you can build a big church. See, it's possible for us to have the appearance of success. But often, the effort is going to be in vain. Because those things don't last. It's kind of like building a, a, a castle, a sandcastle on the beach. Where you can build this, this fancy little sandcastle and you can make it big. You can make it look wonderful. And people are like, that's awesome. And guess what happens when the waves come? It washes away. This is why Solomon says, those who build according to your own effort and who gain success in their own effort, he says, it is vain. He says, it is meaningless. It is empty. It won't fill you. It won't satisfy you. Where you can throw yourself into your own efforts to bring about success. And Solomon would say, then you would look at, in the mirror at the very end and have this idea of what was the point of all of that. And it's not just building something that, in your own strength that is in vain. Paul, Solomon goes further. And he's going to say it's our uh, desire for protection and security and maintenance of what we have that we also hold those things in vain. Here's what he says in the second half of verse 1. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, I've got a little jar right here. You ever seen, you ever seen that study that was done about monkeys and jars? See, what happens, uh, normally you'd put a nut, but I didn't have a nut, so I got a glue stick. See, if you, if you give this to a monkey, and you, this, is, this is what the monkey wants. It's a nut. I, it could be a banana, but they would just squash, squash it so it wouldn't really work. So you put a nut in a jar, and you give it to a monkey. What the monkey's going to do is stick its hand in because it wants, the, 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 it wants the, whatever it is. But then he makes a fist around it, and he tries to pull, and he can't pull his hand out. But that monkey, he, he doesn't figure out that all I have to do is let go and let something else happen. That monkey will keep its hand in there and hold on to it, keep trying to pull it, and will not let go. I'm going to guess a lot of us live our lives like that. It's a control issue. Where we look and we're like, man, here's, here's success for my family. Here's, here's success for my business. Here, here's my retirement fund. Here's all these things, and I'm going to put my hand in the jar, and I'm going to grab onto it, but I'm not going to let go. 
I'm just going to hold on. I can't let go of that. I, I, I can't let go. No, I have to, I have to hold on to it. Because if I don't, who's going to do that? And God is standing there, and he's like, I thought you trusted me. I thought you believed my word that says, I love you. And God's saying, I thought you believed my promises that said, I will provide for you. I thought you believed when I promised that I would never leave you nor forsake you, that I'm your security. Yet, here many of us are holding on to whatever it is because we're afraid to let go. Because we want the control. Instead of simply saying, all right, God, I'm going to let go and trust you. Here's what it comes down to. When you start looking at your life, start looking at your life, where does success come from to you? You look at your workplace. Does success at work come from you or does it come from God? Just be honest in that answer. When you look at your family, when you look at your kids, and you think this is what's going to make them successful, is it because of you or is it because of God? When you look at your future, your retirement, whatever it happens to be, is it going to be fruitful because you've made wise decisions or is it going to be because of God? In fact, this would be an awesome, a right time for us to ask maybe a couple of diagnostic questions. Really some diagnostic questions to what's going on inside of my heart. Am I really clinging for control? How many of you ever thought this in your workplace or in your family? They're lucky to have me. They're so lucky to have me. How many of you ever say things like this? They need me. If they didn't have me, where would they be? They would not survive without me. I mean, aren't these things that we say about our work, about our family? In fact, I think about me as a pastor. I think, well, as a pastor, man, the church needs me. They need me to come up and preach. They need me to come up and lead. They need me to do these things. Uh, and then I actually read my Bible, and there's a story in the Bible where God speaks through a donkey. God speaks through a donkey. And I'm sitting here thinking they need me? No, God doesn't need it. God can bring it about any way. And let's just be honest. When we start thinking like this, they need me. I'm so great. It's my skills and my knowledge and my ability and my personality. Isn't it exhausting? Because we take that weight that doesn't belong to us and we put it on ourselves we take that, and no wonder we have stress and anxiety and worry because we're taking things that belong to God and saying, no, I'm going to hold on to them myself. God does not want us to be stressed and anxious. He wants us to experience peace and rest. In fact, that's what he said in verse 2. Solomon says, in vain you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious turmoil. And here's this beautiful line. He says, for the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That the rest and peace and sleep, it is a gift. It is a blessing from 
God. Yet, again, this is where we, when we struggle with that functional atheism, when we struggle with trying to control the outcome, when we struggle with trying to guarantee the future success of our business and our family and these things, when we're struggling with building our own little kingdom, let's just be honest, we get very little rest, right? We rise up early and we go to bed late because there's always more to do. There's a house to build. There's a future to guarantee. There's success to protect. There's so much for us to do. It makes me think about the story in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, there's a story about Mary and Martha. These are sisters. And Jesus says, hey, Mary, Martha, I'm going to come to your house. You've heard this story before? It's a great story. I'd recommend you read it. It's just a, it's a good story. And so Jesus says, Mary, Martha, I'm coming to your house. And Martha's kind of wigging out. She's like, what? Jesus is coming to my house? And so she's doing what all of us would be doing, right? You're taking all the junk and throwing it in the closet and trying to get the closet to stay shut. You're trying to clean up. You're going to get the good dishes out, set the good dishes out. You're going to light one of those incense things so it smells nice and pretty. You're going to make sure the toilet paper is stocked because you would not want Jesus to, never mind, we won't have to go there. And Martha is focused on what you and I are so good at, which is doing. We do, 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 do. We got more to do. And what's Mary doing? Mary's chilling at the foot of Jesus, resting and enjoying her Savior. Martha is all about doing, and Mary's all about being. Let's just be honest. For most of us, it's easier for us just to do, right? It's easier for us to say, hey, give me some stuff to do. I like that. That's easier. Result, Martha is stressed out and anxious. And she comes up to Jesus. is like, Jesus, tell my sister to get up and do something. She's lazy. Get up and do something. And what does, what does Jesus say? Yes, she said no. He said no. <laughs> out of the mouth of babes. Yes, Jesus said Mary has chosen the good portion that cannot be taken from her. Despite all the effort that, that Martha was trying to put into making this a good experience with Jesus, Mary enjoyed the presence and the peace of God. In fact, one commentator said this, and I wrote this down. I put this on the slide behind me for you today. The only way to experience the rest and the peace of God it's to use whatever means that God has given you and then trust or commit the outcome to God. That if we're going to experience rest and peace, we've got to be open-handed and say, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to give the responsibility to you. I'm not going to shirk my responsibility. I'll, I'll do my part. I'll, I'll go and do the work. But God, I'm going to let go of the outcome. I'm going to let go of, kind of trying to control whether this is successful or not. I'm just going to give it to you. In fact, I love this psalm because as I read it, it's almost as if God is sitting right here and he's holding, he's holding this out to you. He's holding this out to us and saying, look, here's my rest. Here's my peace. I am offering it to you. Doesn't that sound good right now? Rest and peace. Doesn't a nap sound good? And the psalmist, I see God offering it to us. And what he's saying is, is, let me carry the weight. 
which means for us to receive that rest and that peace, we've got to hand over responsibility, hand over control, to trust him, to commit the results to him, which means we can't continue to live as functional atheists as if everything is all about me. In fact, the psalmist, he closes the psalm with an illustration, kind of of what he's already said. He says in verse 3, oftentimes we look at this text and we say, well, here's the key to the verse, the key to the text. It's not. This is an illustration. What he says is, behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord, the fruit of a womb of a reward. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. See, what he just said is kids are a blessing. Kids are a gift from God. Amen to that. Kids are also a headache. Amen to that. Kids are the, 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 the they're, they're some of our greatest joys, but kids are also some of our greatest worries. In fact, when I think about parenting, parenting is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And yet this psalm just said kids are a gift and a blessing. Now here's what I've learned about God's gifts and God's blessings. Maybe you've seen this in your life as well. Oftentimes, God's blessing feels more like a liability in the first place. Before it becomes a blessing, you're kind of like, what? What? This isn't a blessing. This is a burden. And, and I would say that with kids, the greater the promise for the kid means more likely they're going to be a handful before they feel like a quiverful, right? That's the way that kids are. Yet here's what Solomon is saying. This is a practical application. We look at our kids and we're like, we're going to make it work. We're going to make them. And what Solomon is saying, no. If you allow the Lord to build the house, if you allow the Lord to shape the children, if you give the outcome to God, he's saying that children are a blessing. That when you trust your kids to the Lord and lean not to your own understanding, lean not to the philosophies you find in the book, lean not to your own wisdom and strength, when you trust God with the outcome, that is when you experience the blessing that God has offered us through our children. And here's this psalm talking to us today saying God's blessing of rest and peace is given for us who will trust him. You want to experience the rest and the peace of God? It is found when we are willing to trust him. And this is where I'm just challenged today to consider, and I challenge you to consider, how quick are you to take on the weight and the responsibility of your life that doesn't belong to you? How quick are we to take the, 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 the future of our business and our family and whatever it happens to be, and I'd say for the church, how quick are we willing to take that responsibility on ourselves? Are, are we such control freaks that we think we could do a better job than God? Is it worth all the worry and the stress? Because here's God. Here's God saying all that stress is in vain. If we would just hand 
over control and surrender control to God, where success is ultimately found, then we would experience this peace, this rest, and I dare say this abundant life. So here we come to the point of application. And it is all about us surrendering. Surrender is something that we have to continually practice, do we not? Maybe not for you, maybe for me. So how do I, how do I, how do I trust God with the outcomes of my life? How do I grow in learning to surrender? Two steps. Number one, we have to remember where success is found. Remember where success is found. In fact, a number of years ago, Samantha and I talked to a pastor friend of ours, and we're like, hey, what's the secret to raising good kids? He was a little older than us. His kids were gone, and we're like, what's the secret? Now, I'll be honest. When we asked that question, I was hoping he'd say, here's his book. Read this book and do what this book says. I was hoping he would say, you know, here's what you need to do. You just, uh, here's a philosophy. You need to be consistent with your discipline. Uh, maybe you need to tell your kids they're a unicorn. Like, here's what you do. You need to homeschool your kids. You need to public school. Like, here's the secret. You do this, and your kids will turn out great. That's what I was looking for. I remember his answer kind of made me mad. He said, here's the secret to raising good kids. And he said, this is a secret to being a good church planter. This is a secret to running a successful business. This is a secret to having a great future. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get good. What philosophy you got for me now, buddy? John 15, verse 5. Abide in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, obviously, there's lots that we can do apart from God, right? There's lots of things we can do. But Jesus is saying... Success, you are not going to find success apart from God. The key to raising good kids, the key to, to having a good business, the key to growing a good church is that we abide in Christ, which means we have to choose to be more like Mary and less like Martha. We have to choose to focus less on doing and more on being, which means we have to be willing to surrender control, to surrender the outcomes This is one of the reasons why we've got to be reading the scriptures. Because when we read the scriptures on a regular basis, we're going to be reminded again and again and again of the greatness of God, of the graciousness of God. And we hear about all these things that God does. God, God parts the Red Sea, and God raises people from the dead, and God does all these miracles. It should be a reminder to us, if God can do that, then certainly God can make this business work out. If God can do that, then certainly God can shape my children in a way that's going to honor him. I look at prayer. Prayer often is so hard for us. Why is prayer so hard for us? I mean, we're good at praying for our meals. We're good when we're in a load of trouble. We're like, oh crap, it's going to hit the fan. God, can you help me out here? But when we actually pray more than just that, when we begin to pray and just admire the, the, the greatness of God and praise him for who he is, praise him for his greatness, man, it's like we're confronted again and again and again with the greatness of God. 
And when I'm confronted with his greatness, it's hard for me to think, well, if he can do all of those things, if he is all-powerful, all-knowing, if he's that strong, then certainly he can deal with this situation I'm dealing with. This is where we've got to, to remember where success comes from. We've got to abide. Here's how this plays out. Here's how it plays out in my parenting. I, I hate conflict. I hate when things are unresolved. I hate it. And so when I'm in a situation and there's, there's conflict or whatever relationship it happens to be, I'm just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, we're going to get through this. I'm going I'm, I'm to solve it because that's what I do. And that's me holding on control. I'm going to control this. I'm going to control this. And a friend of mine uh, recently said, hey, here's what you need to do instead of trying to control it. He says, Kevin, why don't you offer truth? Drop just a, a word of truth. And then back off and just pray. Just pray. He said, because I think your desire to take control, I think you actually are preventing the Holy Spirit from working. Ouch. How many of us in our desire to control our children and our business and whatever it happens to be are actually preventing the Holy Spirit from doing what the Holy Spirit wants to do? Because we're clinging for control. Because we're going to hold on and guarantee what happens. We actually prevent God from doing what he wants to do. I'm not going to be quiet. This is good. This is good preaching. Our outcome is not a result of our great effort. We've got to recognize that the outcome is a gift from God, that success comes from Him. So number one, we've got to remember where success comes from. Number two, we actually have to put this into practice. We actually have to put this into practice and begin letting go of things and trusting God. In fact, as I thought about, well, how do I, how do I give you an example of what it looks like to actually let go of some things and put into practice to trust God I thought, why don't we talk about the Sabbath? Because I think if we actually are going to practice the idea of a honoring the Sabbath day, that is so practical for us in actually letting go and trusting God. Sabbath is one day a week that we are supposed to focus and refrain from doing and just focus on our being. Can we just acknowledge how hard it is to honor the Sabbath? Like we got this extra day of the week and what do we do? We get caught up on work. We get caught up on projects. We get caught up on things going on at home. We're, we use it as a day of travel. We use it for all sorts of things. Because it's the extra day of the week, right? It's the extra day to get caught up on all the other things that we haven't done. But listen, when we honor the Sabbath in the way that God intended, which means you don't work to get caught up on all those other things, when we're willing to let some things go, when we're willing to take that day and focus on our relationship with the Lord, isn't that kind of like that willful act of, okay, God, I've got lots of things I need to do, but I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go and honor my relationship with you to focus on my relationship with you. And it kind of becomes this practical application. I've got to trust God with the rest of the other six days. 
That if I take this day and I focus not on doing, but focus on being with the Lord, I kind of actually have to put that into action. Or I'm not going to go and accomplish, I'm not going to go and achieve, I'm not going to go and get caught up, but I'm going to take that day and say, God, this is yours, I'm going to honor you with it. That becomes a real practical way for us to say, I'm going to let go of some things. Scripture actually says that honoring the Sabbath day is not just a suggestion. It is actually a commandment from God. Yeah, it's one of those commandments that is so easy for us to break. Oh, it's, everybody does it. It's okay. Listen, honestly, our willingness or unwillingness to observe the Sabbath actually is probably a heart check. It reveals whether we are trusting God or whether we just talk a big game. Our willingness or unwillingness to have a Sabbath probably reveals whether we are actually living as a Christian and in faith and dependence on Him or whether we are functional atheists. See, here's how you honor the Sabbath. We're talking about the Sabbath. Here's two things to do. Number one, use the day to connect with the Lord, which means you ought to meditate on the Word of God, read Scripture, hear Scripture. You ought to put some worship music on, worship music that gets your soul stirring. Raise your hands and just get lost in the worship. You ought to come to church and worship with the people of God and connect with the people of God. Maybe you ought to, maybe you should journal. I find journaling really good for my soul. Journal my thoughts out. It's kind of like this written prayer that God does things in my heart. Focus on your relationship with God and connecting with Him. And secondly, on the Sabbath, enjoy the gifts that God has given you. It means take that time to to read a book. Go for a walk. Play with your kids in in the yard. Here's one of the most spiritual things I can do on the Sabbath is take a nap. Do you know that taking a nap is a spiritual thing? Taking a nap is absolutely a spiritual thing. Some of you are really spiritual. I know that. In fact, this summer, uh, the church is sending my family and I on a, on a sabbatical. And here's why. Because my job as a pastor is to do. My job as a pastor is to uh, work on the church. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, it's easy for, uh, it's easy for me to f- slip into functional atheism. I think about the church. I think about everything we've gone through in the last year with COVID. And all the difficulty with leading the church through COVID and trying to navigate different opinions. Man, there's a lot of that comes down to, well, it's based on my leadership and my wisdom and me trying to navigate relationships and try and keep everybody happy. You look at some difficult relationships in the church. You look at some difficult marriages that are blowing up and you're kind of like, well, I've got to have the right wisdom and the right counseling to try and navigate these things. You look at the growth of the church and everybody wants to see the church grow and it comes into this idea, well, you've got to do. I'm a pastor. It's my job to go and do and do and do. You know what a sabbatical is for us? Sabbatical for me is letting go. A sabbatical for me is saying, God, it's not about what I do. It's about me being with you. Because if I can let go of some things, you know what that means? It's not Kevin building the church. It's not Kevin building the house. It's not Kevin watching over the city. But I can actually trust and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to build the house. 
All right, God, I'm going to trust that you are watching over the city. And I'm simply going to receive the gift of rest, the blessing of peace. This morning, I want to close with some words from Jesus out of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus has come to me, all who are working and striving so hard to get ahead. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are grasping for control. Come to me, all of you who are so worried that your future depends on you. Come to me, all of you who are so anxious for how your kids are going to turn out. Come to me, all of you who are tired and overwhelmed of trying to hold it all together on your own. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That's my desire for you today. It's my desire for us today that we would come to him and take these things that we're holding on to say, all right, God, I'm going to let go. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to enjoy the rest that you've given me, the peace, because that is the way that God intended us to live with open hands, trusting that God is working things out for our good and for his glory We may not always understand it. At times, those blessings may feel like a burden, but when we trust the Lord, he will turn it back into a blessing. Let's pray.